2: Five, touchdown,
3: shakeover.
2: 11, Packers
0: bring
3: Woodshed off the corner. Five throws, touchdown, Sydney Wright. And Five gives to Peterson, touchdown. And now takes a quick shot. For-
0: Welcome in to, not Ventline today, but a special episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind. I am Phil Mackey. That is Judd Zolgat. We got Declan Goff here on this episode as well. Ryan Longwell will join because today's special episode, usually we're doing Minnesota Sports Rewind on Tuesdays and Thursdays here, gentlemen. But because tonight ESPN is running one of the most fun, prominent games in Vikings history, I think it's safe to say, the 2009 Mm -hmm. Metrodome matchup. Monday Night Football between the Green Bay Packers and the Brett Favre Minnesota Vikings. This was also this was October fifth, two thousand nine. One day before Game one sixty three <laughs> at uh That's the nice little run of
1: sports, unbelievable week forty hour run of sports at the Metrodome.
0: Yes, Not and if too you are new to Minnesota Sports Rewind, this is where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events, games, trades, moments, you name it. And uh, we do this episode as well today in honor of Tavares Jackson who. Uh, was the, the backup quarterback for the Vikings, not only in 2009, but he was a starter in 2007, 2008. And news came down that he was killed in a car accident in Alabama last night, according to multiple reports. And so we'll have different Tavares Jackson anecdotes throughout the day on Score North. And we'll talk to uh, various people, including Sage Rosenfels on Purple Daily today, who knew him well. But this game in particular was the fourth game of the season for the Vikings. So I'll set the scene here and you mm-hmm. jump in. We both covered that team. You covered for the Star Tribune. I was at uh, a different media outlet here in the Twin Cities. We'll get to the key questions, but I think this game, the, the Vikings were off to a 3 and 0 start. And they were coming off the Favre to Lewis game-winning touchdown against San Francisco just 8 days prior. But remember in that San Francisco game, the Vikings offense was kind of clunky. Like it, it took a miracle drive and throw and catch to Come from behind and win that game, mm-hmm. and so there was still some skepticism heading into Monday Night Football against the Packers about how much gas does Favre have in the tank? Is he a game manager? You know what? What is Brett Favre at this stage in his career? Is the Vikings' offense clicking, or are they just handing off to Peterson with a bigger name quarterback? And all those questions existed going into this game,
1: Judd. Right. So to uh, to go back through those first three games, then they go opening week to Cleveland. And Peterson goes nuts. He tramples three or four guys. That, that's the, I believe it became an SI cover. And Peterson is great. And so we all say, this works perfect. Favre, in his twilight years of his career, comes in, manages things for Adrian. It's going to be great. Week two, they go to Detroit and win. And again, Favre's fine. He's he's fine. Yeah. Uh, but he's certainly not great. And we all wrote, Brett Favre as he nears 40 can manage a game perfectly. And I remember at his weekly press conference that Wednesday after the Detroit game asking him about that because that that was a story. Favre's here for a purpose, but it's not to be Brett Favre, it's to be it's just to be a really solid veteran QB. And I remember there was sort of a, a I don't know if the word is distaste, disdain, like you could tell Favre's like what? And so so San Francisco they win on that last second pass in, in the back of the end zone to Lewis and that's the first one where you're like whoa because that throw was a throw of a 25 year old quarterback yeah. in his absolute prime and that was that sort of stopped you and then we got to this game and and to me if you try to to find uh snapshots of 2009 that became incredibly important game three into game four is a really important one because that was far basically, looking at the press box, extending a key digit on his hand and saying, manage this, folks.
0: Yeah, and I think before we get into sort of setting the scene for what happened in the game and then getting to our key questions, so we did three additional episodes on Minnesota Sports Rewind, Apple, Spotify, Score North App. You can binge all 15 episodes we have now, but three of the episodes from early in the football season last year that we posted were about the 2009 season. We sat down with Sage Rosenfels. We went, we went through the NFC Championship game as one episode. Uh, you, me, and Chip Scoggins just telling stories from that season. And then we also did a dive into the arrival of Brett Favre. And Sage had a really interesting behind-the-scenes anecdote about Favre's demeanor and and nerves going into this Monday Night Football game. And so here's just a short clip. Sage telling the story about him sitting down next to Favre in the locker room before this game Took place. He
4: is sitting in his locker and he is shaking. His he is sitting right next to me and he is visibly like uncomfortable, shaking almost like he's like going to throw up. So I'm talking to him. I'm like, "You all right?" He goes, "No, nah, I'm I'm not doing very well." I'm like, w- w- "What's wrong?" And he goes, "Well, you don't realize how hard it is to be Brett Favre every time I go out there." I go, "Huh? Well, you're gonna play great. We got a great team. We got a better team than them. We're gonna win the game, and you just you don't have to do anything special." You know, I can't say anything you know in great words for him, but he, you know, imagine that. Imagine having to do what he did just a few weeks earlier in San Francisco, and mentally going, "I may have to do this again this time and make magic happen."
0: So I think that's a really good glimpse into just the pressure that Favre put on himself and that he felt. I mean, it was almost like an out of body experience for him before some of these games and after some of these games. There's Brett Favre, the legendary figure and the mm-hmm. guy, the gunslinger, right? And the way Sage tells that story, it was almost like Brett's had an out of body experience looking at Brett Favre the gunslinger, thinking, man, I got to step into that suit again and again and again. And tonight against the team I used to play for and that's won a Super Bowl for.
1: That's the key. The, the, the game that we are talking about now that's going to be replayed at 7 o'clock on ESP tonight, October 5th of 2009. And then when the Vikings went to Lambeau on November 1st of that same year, y- you got to remember. The real reason why Brett Favre was here, largely, a huge... Like, if there's 1A, 1B, 1C, in my opinion, Phil, 1A was to show Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, and the Packers, you messed up. Mm -hmm. So the pressure on Brett for those two Packer games was immense, and he put it on himself. But the reason why that that this guy tolerated a year with, with the Jets why he then basically rope a dope the Jets and said, okay, now I'm done. And so they go, I think, that April and draft, Mark Sanchez. And in late April, Favre gets released and can sign here. All of that was done, yes, Favre liked the offense here, yes, the team was really good, but the most important was to show the Packers, I can still play. And so the pressure going into both of these games, the one at the Metrodome and then, of course, the one in Green Bay, was absolutely immense, put on by Favre himself, but I think if the Vikings if the Vikings had gone 12 and 4 in 2009, Phil, and they had lost both games to Green Bay and you pumped Brett Favre full of truth serum, I think Brett would say personally failure. Yeah. Cuz this was all about showing that team you should have
0: let me dictate all terms. And he felt all of that going into the game. The Packers were in the midst of a bounce back season after going 6 and 10 in 2008, which was Aaron Rodgers' first full year as the starter. Rodgers at this point was still a couple years away from being peak Aaron Rodgers, best quarterback in the NFL status, but 2009 was the first year. It was his second year as a starter, first year where like the light bulb was really starting to come on. He held onto the ball a little bit too long, led the league in sacks, and Jared Allen took advantage saw, of that. We saw that in this we'll, game. You we'll dive He took a safety against Jared Allen in this game. Um, but the Packers were very good. The Packers were an 11-5 and team, as it turned out. They... Uh, you know, they they wound up making the playoffs and then won the Super Bowl a couple years after this. So this was not a pushover Packers team. And this game, as you mentioned, was the first litmus test for all of these things. Are the Vikings for real? Is Favre a game manager or is he still the old gunslinger legend that can carry an offense? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is Aaron Rodgers for real on the Packers side? Should the Packers have found a way to keep Brett Favre? Like all of these questions were still lingering in the air going into this Monday night football game. And ultimately, the Vikings made pretty easy work of the Packers. They jumped out to a 30 to 14 lead. They eventually hung on to win 30 to 23. Far throws for 271, three touchdowns. The Vikings sacked Aaron Rodgers eight times in this game, even though he threw for almost 400 yards trying to play catch up. Yep. And this win really helped in the minds of fans, media, and I think even players in that Vikings locker room. I think it, I think it put the Vikings on the level of the best team in the NFL, they w- they went on to start the season ten and one, and then we all know how the season wound up ending in New Orleans that year. But I think this game, like the San Francisco game and the Greg Lewis catch, was the first. Whoa, something special's cooking here! Right, this is crazy. I think this win one week later and just the decisiveness of how bad you beat the Packers in this, yep, um, was was that get you over the hump feeling of okay, this team can win the Super Bowl. And it's it's. The Packers, the ultimate troll job, too.
1: The ultimate troll job in in all of in all in the history of pro sports in this town. You give me a bigger troll job than Brett Favre, who played 16 years for the Packers, tormented you, and and at times, especially early in his career, the Metrodome was tormented by you. Mm -hmm. But you hated him, absolutely hated. And now here on national TV, coming out in purple is Brett Favre. It was. As far as TV went, as far as uh, sports theater goes, Phil Mackey, this was one of the best moments in sports in this town because it was so much damn fun. And and this was still a time when to see Brett Favre in purple and then the Packers across the sideline. I don't know that there was a second in that game where I thought to myself, you know what this looks This looks normal. It it never looked normal, but it was
0: was so much fun. So here's key question number one, a good segue off that here. Minnesota Sports Rewind. Where did this game rank, taking Favre, drubbing the Packers, and just the surreal nature of all of it, Mm -hmm. where did this game rank for you among Minnesota sports satisfactions in your life? or you, you you watch something and fans are watching something and it's like it's like I need a cigarette after that if you're a Vikings fan or if you're a Minnesota sports fan. It is fan pretty from. it's pretty damn high. Like it's not winning a world series. No, but it's not it's, on that level, but in in terms of like Vikings satisfactory moments, they've never won a Super Bowl. Yep. It's pretty high on the list of Vikings satisfactory moments. So
1: when when Greg Lewis got the touchdown in the back of the end zone against the uh against San Francisco, you said to yourself, "Oh, okay, there's something at work here. But this was the first game where you watched the whole game and said, oh, my God, Brett Favre is about to turn 40 years old because I believe his birthday was, I think it's five days after that game. um, And he's not just managing the game. He's not just good. He still got it. Mm-hmm. And the arm and all of those things. And this was... Really, a four-quarter buildup of that. And the other key thing that I had sort of forgotten until I went back and watched the highlight package from this game on Saturday on YouTube was I had
0: forgotten this defense was pretty damn good. Allen was fantastic. It was was a different type of good, though, because they would get gashed yardage-wise, but they would get sacks, they'd get turnovers. Right,
1: but this is the first time that I thought that everything came together where you said, this isn't just a nice team, this could be a great team. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, the first game where, where the defense pulled their weight. Allen played this great game. Favre played this great game. And the other, the other interesting thing that this started, Phil, this started you down the path of, Adrian Peterson can be a very important part of this team, but he doesn't have to be the team. And that's different. And I think if you go back and look in this game he had, I want to say 55 yards rushing, he was stripped of the ball yeah. by Matthews for a touchdown. Yeah, that was which was concerning which was concerning, which Peterson, was concerning and not good. But if you think about but if you think about the stew of 2009 Viking success, this sort of for for the first time over the course of a full game gave you the template of what that stew could potentially be.
0: So I think this 48-hour period and you could even say it was a 72 hour period because the twins, the twins on this, on Sunday, the twins completed their comeback. The twins had to go like 16 and three or 19 and three or something in September just to get to game 163. Mm-hmm. So all throughout that month of September, you had the Vikings starting off with Favre and the twins as the hottest team in baseball. And it culminates on that Sunday with the twins forcing a game 163, and I believe it was at the Metrodome that they were sweating all that out on Sunday. Monday, you have Brett Favre Vikings beating the Packers into Tuesday game 163, one of the most fun moments in Twins history as well. And I know that we're not talking about championship-level excitement over that 48-hour stretch, so if you're a Boston sports fan, you probably have 15 other things in your grab bag that you would put on a list, right? But this is Minnesota sports we're talking about. We don't exactly have a vault of 20 championship moments to go back into, uh, so with with that as a backdrop, I think this forty-eight hour period is the most fun stretch. I was born in nineteen eighty-five, and I'll I'll even count eighty-seven to ninety-one to some extent. When you talk about a forty-eight hour stretch, it's up there with Game Six, Game Seven, World Series. Well,
1: Yeah, both teams playing far. It's as right a there, absolutely. Yeah, like
0: it's the like I just remember coming up coming out of that stretch and leaving the Metrodome after the Twins beat the Tigers, thinking. Whoa, what just happened this week? This yes. is not. This is not classic Minnesota. Surreal sports. too, amazing. right? Yeah, because
1: C- just that whole thing was all of these, all of these things that one we're not used to ordinarily, and then two, the Minnesota Vikings beat the team that they hate the most with the quarterback that had played for that team for sixteen years. That that by the way, your team yeah. had been trying to get for two years. Yeah, and got and and to go back as well. It was That was the first defining marker of this is probably, of course we found out it was not, which is sad, but this is probably a Super Bowl team. Like it, this, is. it should have been. This team has all, Rice looked great, Berrien, Favre, Allen, I can go down that entire list of all of these things, ingredients that had been put together in that game to... Serve notice that there was no reason why this couldn't be an incredibly special team, but I, I would describe that that forty-eight hour period probably fairly as surreal because one, it's a ton of things that ordinarily don't happen to us here in the state, and two, just the circumstances of both Favre v Packers and Game One Sixty Three were so unusual.
0: Can I float this notion, too? I've never really thought about this until I finally went and combed through the box score and watched back part of this game, and I'm excited to watch it again tonight. It's on ESPN tonight, which is part of the reason why we're doing this episode today here. Uh, Vikings beating the Packers October 5th, 2009, Monday Night Football. We give Brett Favre a ton of due credit for that season. It is regarded as one of the great, if not the best quarterback season in the history of Vikings football. It's one of the most memorable seasons. So, so he's certainly not like flying under the radar with what he did in 2009. Right. But when I look at who he was throwing the ball to and what we thought in that moment was that like Sydney Rice was a second round pick and Barry was this big free agent signing a year earlier, right? He was the, probably the first or second most prominent free agent on the market. TJ Hushmanzato was a free agent that off season too. I can't remember. I can't believe I remember that. But when you look at the list of guys who caught passes from Favre in this game, And I know he had Adrian Peterson, which helped as it helped draw defenders in. So like it helps to have Peterson at that point in the NFL's history. But his weapons were Sidney Rice, who had 1300 yards receiving that year. I know he had a hip injury that kind of derailed his career a little bit, but he never had more than 750 yards in the season ever again. Brett Brett Favre made Sidney Rice. Rice. Brett Favre made Vasante Shanko. Bernard Berrien was. A little bit past his prime, and was never a number one on a real legitimate offense. That dude was not a number one wide receiver. Maybe not even a number two. He was just kind of a go down the field guy, right? Mm -hmm. He'd probably be a a number three, go down the field guy on a good on a good, well stocked weapons offense. Mm -hmm. Other guys who caught passes in this game were now Fahutahi, the slowest moving semi truck of a fullback ever. Every every reception was a grind to get back to the line of scrimmage for twenty eight. Yep. Jeff Dugan caught two passes for twenty six yards, including a key one. Yes. A twenty five yarder, yeah. Yes. And Percy Harvin was a good weapon, but he was also not your traditional route running wide receiver. He was more of a gimmick offensive player. He he's not the type of guy that's gonna go out and catch ninety passes right. for twelve hundred yards and you know, that wasn't Percy Harvin. So when I look at this collection and then I look at Brett Favre's season, I think, man, like that dude gets a ton of credit for two thousand nine, but probably deserves even more credit because the weapons weren't as good as we thought in that moment. That's an interesting one. All right, so Rice had had the potential. And Favre, and I saw Favre
1: do this in, was a 2003, I believe, with Javon Walker as well. Same type of deal. Nice receiver. Not a star, but, you know, borderline really, really good. And Favre didn't care. He's like, you're my guy. That became Rice.
0: He did it with Robert
1: Brooks as well in the mid-90s. The one, the one guy I will give you, though, and this is where Brett is the anti-Kirk, is if you don't do exactly what Kirk thinks you're going to do, Kirk is sort of lost at times, right? Percy, because Percy had God-given ability that was out of this world, just athletically, Brett had the ability to find that. And so there would be plays that 30% of QBs in this league would look at what Percy did and be like, all right, I think I can throw you the ball, but I'm not sure. Brett didn't care. And Brett had that that deal where he dropped back to pass, he would set himself and just have that heave motion that looked like it took a ton of work. Mm -hmm. And he would find a guy like Percy. There's all Philip
0: Rivers in it, actually. All
1: the time, but but they were bullets. Those those footballs were bullets. And he could find Percy, and and he did the same thing in the uh, game against the Packers in Green Bay. He could find Percy wherever Percy was, and when Percy got the ball, Percy made, made plays. So what I would say is, Brett basically turned this into the perfect storm. Like, Brett could use th- those guys. And if you didn't do the exact right thing, I think Brett cared a little bit. But that's where where he certainly made them, but he also knew exactly what they could all do. Mm-hmm. And the Rice one is the best one, because that was off the charts. Because Rice, for one year, was probably, what, for that
0: year, top five in the he league? Was. yeah. Just as far certainly as... numbers-wise. Just outstanding. And reliability down the field. All right. Key question number two. How would you guys characterize Brett Favre's standing in Minnesota sports history? Cause I, when I think of Brett Favre, I don't just think Packers anymore. I like, and I know that like, being ingrained in it here in Minnesota, I, I think of Brett Favre as a Viking to some extent, even though he was only here for how much five minutes. If I'm putting together. A Mount Rushmore of Minnesota Sports Icons. He's mm-hmm. not on the Mount Rushmore. Like that's for Kirby, KG, Moss, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. But he's on the he's on the secondary list <laughs> with Jack Morris. Now Jack delivered a championship. Yeah. Brett Favre is like Brett Favre to Minnesota sports is Diet Jack Morris because Jack Morris paid it off with a championship. Now, Jack was also from Minnesota, how much which di- I think helps. How much
1: differently do you think of Brett Favre as opposed to to before he got here, 16 years, pain in the butt ordinarily? How, how, much, how much differently do you think of Brett Favre because of that, basically what came down to a great one-year stint here, compared to how you would have thought if he had, let's say, gone to the Jets and then just quit playing?
0: Yeah, I think honestly, I th- I think that Viking season sort of cemented his career in some ways. It 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 cemented that he can still do this at forty, and he can still go prove his point and stick it to his former team and, and do it his way. But it also cemented the fact that he will tear your heart out as of and he did it with the Packers too, like that that 2007 NFC Championship game where Tom Tom Coughlin's cheeks are going to be in the Hall of Fame at some <laughs> point. Those frostbitten cheeks, like. Like, Brett Favre's career is equal parts some of the greatest quarterbacking you've ever seen and some of the most ridiculous throws you've ever seen all throughout his whole 15, 16 year career. And also some of the most, what in God's name are you thinking moments mm-hmm. as well. It was peak Brett Favre. It was, you got the whole roller coaster
2: of Favre. You, you got moments where it was, all right, is this really going to work? To, oh my gosh, this is the most magical thing. And his, like, like Judd said, his throwing motion. It hurt. It, it looked like it hurt watching Brett Favre throw. Kind of like well, Frankie Rodriguez, I believe, of the Angels, the old closer. He like he would the way he would throw. It's like that doesn't look enjoyable. It looks like you're in serious pain when like you're unleashing la- one. His
0: labrum is going to fray. Yeah. everything. and I think we had that ingrained in our heads because we know that he had right. he had bicep surgery. Yeah. So in our heads, it was like, boy, is it like is he going to detach his bicep from? The and ball?
2: with the way he played in the Saints game, to how it ended, was yeah, it was it was peak far, man. So he, here's the the
1: weird thing to me about this entire conversation too,
2: though, the Green Bay Packers ultimately
1: absolutely made the right call. And and to the point about the uh, 2007 conference championship game against the Giants, the story is, at halftime of that game, Mike McCarthy said, if this was anybody but Brett, I'd bench him. Because he was so bad outdoors, he was so cold, he was just, he looked miserable, miserable. And that this, of course, had been a guy who came into the league and, you know, Oh, Brett Favre and Lambo, you know, in Green Bay was so great. But the Packers ultimately made the exact right call. But what makes Favre's career now, in retrospect, so intriguing was he was so bound and determined after he felt like he was forced to quit after that 2007 season to come back and show them. And I don't know how I feel about Brett Favre. I, I almost don't see him now as an athlete associated with the Vikings. But as far as people I've covered, and I ended up covering them for four years total, Phil, he is by far and away
0: the most interesting human being I've covered. Yeah. That that I agree with. He's just so he, interesting. He, he has that rock star caliber personality uh-huh. and aura. You know, he's just he's kind of on this untouchable level with probably Cause if you ranked all the quarterbacks in NFL history, I don't think he's on the top five anymore. Like, I think there was maybe some discussion about that, but like, Tom Brady's in the five and Peyton Manning's in the five. Yeah. Um, and Dan Marino, Joe Montana, right? Like, there's it's guys not in the a, five. It's not a slam dunk. He's not necessarily in the five, but in terms of like the five guys that you would be most starstruck by if they walked into a room, he's definitely on that list of five. Cause he sort of, he just sort of built that up over yes. the last 10 years of and his people career.
1: People loved him. His mm-hmm. teammates loved him. I think.
0: Yeah, he. Um, I would say in terms of like do, regarding him as a Minnesota sports figure. So I do more than you do because I I just put if if you were the face of one of the most prominent teams like Randall Cunningham to me is a Minnesota sports figure even though he was here for like a year and a half. Yeah. Jack Morris, even if he wasn't born in St. Paul, would be a Minnesota sports figure because he pitched the most prominent game in Twins franchise history. Um, but I also would, would say that Brett Favre is just another example of Minnesota does such a great job sports wise of borrowing other people's, like Jack Morris is a tiger. Mm-hmm. But we borrowed him and his most prominent moment ever was with the twins. Uh, you know, Warren Moon was an Oiler. I don't think anything he did oh, with.
1: Quarterback-wise, we we borrowed a lot of quarterbacks. We love to borrow.
0: like We we borrow (laughs) people. Jim McMahon.
1: We borrowed Jim McMahon. We borrowed Warren Moon. We borrowed Cunningham. George.
0: It's part of our legacy. George is another one. So when we come back here, let's continue with this here. Minnesota Sports Rewind on Score North and the Score North app, which is free to download for any Apple or uh, non-Apple device. Go to the Google Play Store if you have uh, an Android We have 15 episodes ready for you to binge, Minnesota Sports Rewind, and today's episode is all about the 2009 Minnesota Vikings against the Green Bay Packers, Monday night football, October 5th of 2009. That game runs tonight on ESPN at 7 o'clock. Ryan Longwell will join us next, take us behind the scenes, tell us some stories, and also we'll get into some more key questions, including do you miss the Metrodome? Just a little bit. Metrodome was pretty hopping that week. We'll dive into that as well. It, it is fun. Mackie and Judd with Declan here with a sack of Aaron Rodgers for safety in that game. And so tonight on ESPN at 7 o'clock, ESPN is going to rerun one of the most fun, prominent games maybe ever in Minnesota Vikings history. Brett Favre's first game against the Packers at the Metrodome, Monday Night Football, October 5th of 2009. And we'll dive into a lot of things that happened in and around that game with our friend here, Ryan Longwell. I'm Phil Mackey. That is Judd Zolga This is Minnesota Sports Rewind. But Ryan, just real quick, uh, Tavares Jackson was a teammate of yours for several years, and uh, as Declan just read in his update there, the tragic passing of, of Tavares Jackson last night in Alabama in a car accident. What are your memories of, of T-Jack as a teammate, and uh, just going back 10 years or so?
3: Yeah, I mean, first off, obviously, really sad news. Um, you know, you uh, just pray for his family, and it's uh, it's unfortunate uh, that anybody <clears throat> has to deal with that. Um, you know, I remember T-Jack coming in. Uh, you know, I always say that one of the most unsung things about uh, Coach Childress was his talent evaluation. I mean, he was probably one of the best talent evaluators that I've ever been around um, and he, the teams he built, you know, were were pretty loaded. And one of the unsung guys was he went and and, and plucked T Jack and and came in, and this guy just had a whip for an arm. It was a great locker room guy. And you know, to be honest with you, T Jack was, I mean, he was drugged through the mud. Right? He was like the starter, then wasn't the starter. Then Gus Frog came in, then he wasn't the starter, and then he came back over and. Uh, took over the job and got us to the playoffs, you know, won a big game against the Giants to win the division for the first time in a long time. And, um, you know, and then after all that success, then we go get Favre. And so, um, you know, T Jack was a great teammate. I was happy to see his success in Seattle, you know, and have a chance there. But, uh, um, you know, really, really sad news. Uh, you just never want that with anybody, especially people you, uh, you played with, uh, people that you were close to. And, uh, um, you know, you don't want it for his, his, college that he is associated with now, and he clearly don't want it for his family.
1: Yeah, sad stuff.
3: Um, in your
1: recollection, too, how weird was that 09 training camp where you went to Mankato with Sage and T-Jack battling it out for the uh, starting job, or so we thought, Ryan, at that time, and then eventually it ends up with, you know, Brett deciding to play and Chili driving Brett uh, to the uh, facility. How weird was that entire thing um did you think for them from going from competing for what they assumed would be the starting job to being the two and three behind Brett Favre?
3: Well, I don't know how far back you want to go, but, uh, you know, I went to Mankato, my drive down there was totally different because I was, you know, four to five months in and, and Chile knew this as well, you know, so it wasn't like, uh, you know, a super secret uh, amongst uh, the, the decision makers, but, um, you know, I was four or five months into talking to Brett two to three times a week about the possibility of, of coming to play once he got released from the Jets. And so, uh, I went down there thinking that, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was far going to be our quarterback. And, you know, these guys are obviously competing for the quote unquote job. And I just had so much more info internally than, than these two poor guys had, you know, competing for the job. So I don't want to say we were going through the motions at that position, but we were kind of going through the motions at that position. Like, Put all your chips on the table, put everything on the line, and let's go get this guy and if we can't, then it's t jack or sage but you know let's let's you know really try to get this guy far, um you know because now he's officially free once the jets cut him out right
1: so in that camp take take me through now how things how things uh played out privately so was Brett going to come back but but not go uh to Mankato, what was the the play by play? Now, t- ten years after the fact, w- when it came to this whole thing,
3: well, the play by play was once the Jets cut him out. Right, Brett and I started talking more about what's it like. You know, what's it like to go to your biggest rival? Obviously, coming from the Packers, as I had just done, you know, two years prior. Um, what's it like going to your biggest rival? What's it like playing them? What's it like going back to Lambeau? And how do you think? Um, you know, my legacy will be if I do this, you know? And so that was a, like I said, that was a four to five month conversation that kept going. And I've said this before, that the one question that came up in every conversation was what's it like to go back to Lambo? And so you knew that this was always on Brett's mind about, you know, having to play the Packers. Um, part of it was, yeah, they kind of did me wrong. So I want to kind of stick it to them a little bit. And part of it was, Man, I don't know if I want to face this, you know, um, because of everything that I did over there have done, you know, for the Packers. So, you know, fast forward that the, the conversations kind of, you know, heated up. Um, you know, bus was on board, uh, Brett's agent, Deanna was on board. Uh, and so that those were two big, you know, factors in this whole thing. And then, you know, once we got kind of chilly involved and everything about, uh, you know, the, the job is, you know, essentially open. I mean, you're not going to talk Brett out of you know, quote unquote retirement, and then have him you know compete for a job with T Jack <laughs> and Sage. So, um, you know, it was one of those things where it was all lining up. And so, when we got to uh, the day where you're driving down from you know the Twin Cities down to Mankato, I mean, part of that drive was I was on the phone with Brett. You know, and and so it was kind of like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm good friends with Sage, and and uh, you know was was teammates with T Jack for uh, you know a couple years at that point, and And so you're kind of looking at this role, like, man, we're pretty close. We're pretty close to getting this guy. And big picture wise, you know, you look at that team and the team was just loaded. I mean, it was loaded on offense. It was loaded on defense. And you just felt like the one, you know, kind of missing piece, if we could go from, you know, kind of a, a, a stand in at quarterback, if you will, to a superstar quarterback, boy, you know, if we get a couple breaks, sky's the limit. And, uh, you know, so that was my first you know couple weeks. It wasn't necessarily that does Brett want to or not want to go to training camp in Mankato. It was can he actually pull the trigger to come play for the Minnesota Vikings at whatever day that ended up being.
0: So Ryan, you bring up you know Brett thinking about having to face the Packers and. I think just based on everything you've told us over the years and you know, Judd and I both covered that season and you know we're not gonna to pretend to know Favre on a deeply personal level, but he put a lot of pressure on himself and he he definitely set a high bar for what constituted a success in his mind. And like just getting back on the field was not enough. Like he had to perform well on national TV, beat the Packers. I wanna play for you a clip from our friend Sage Rosenfels here. This is from a few months ago. We did a deep dive into the 2009 season, and it's a it's a look at Brett's at the weight that he put on this matchup. This is specifically regarding going into this Monday Night Football game. We're going to play this clip for you. It's about 40 seconds. And then we'd love your reaction.
4: All right. He is sitting in his locker, and he is shaking. he is, he is sitting right next to me, and he is visibly like uncomfortable, shaking almost like he's like going to throw up. So I'm talking to him. I'm like, "You all right?" He goes, "No, I'm I'm not doing very well." I'm like, "What's wrong?" And he goes, "Well, you don't realize how hard it is to be Brett Favre every time I go out there." I go,
0: "That's fascinating the way that the way that Brett yeah. thought about like putting on the Brett Favre suit, so to speak."
3: Yeah, and I think Brett's a guy that if you know him as as well as I do, and and you guys you know got to know him enough that you would realize this too. He is most comfortable with the football in his hand. Anything else besides that is out of his comfort zone, whether it's the buildup, whether it's the hype, whether it's the, you know, the, the week before all that stuff, even, you know, pregame, once the kickoff goes and the ball is in his hands, man, he is obviously one of the best of the best to ever play the position. But, um, I saw, you know, more nerves in those two weeks. Um, you know, I was with Brett when we heard the news that his father passed and played that Monday night game in in Oakland. And, uh, I saw him, you know, minute by minute lead up to that game and how he played in that game. And, you know, it's, you never like equate going against your former team is losing your, your, you know, parent. I'm not saying that at all. However, the pressure, the buildup, all that hype, you saw him when his dad passed, just how free he was once the game started and I equate that same thing to this Monday night game in in the Metrodome against the Packers it's just all the hype was over all the build-up was over the should I shouldn't I come back the what's it like to play them like all of it was over once the kickoff started and then Brett could be Brett and when Brett is Brett there's few that have ever been better at the position.
1: So let's tie the game that you just brought up when his dad passed away together with this game and the game eventually at Green Bay in 2009. And the common denominator that I saw in those games also, and I don't know why, but it rung true in all three, was Brett's teammates, when they knew Brett was up against it, did things that ordinarily they might not do or wouldn't be capable of doing at the level that they did. Do you agree with that assessment? And if so, what do you think the difference was there when his teammates were inspired by things to help Brett out?
3: Well, I think that goes back to the bigger picture of who Brett is as a teammate. And, you know, clearly his arm talent and what he did throwing the football was, you know, incredible. But what he also did as a teammate, and this was my years in, in Green Bay and in Minnesota, was he had the ability to bring a locker room together better than anybody I've ever seen. He had the ability to make the R5 on the kickoff team cover kicks better than he ever had in his life because Far was in the locker room. And that's an uncanny skill to make everyone around you better. And the other thing that Brett did, which allowed guys to play better than what their talent may have suggested was when the pressure was the highest, whether it be in practice, whether it be in meetings of the mundane week 10 or whatever it is, whether it be on game day and we got to have this drive, he would break the ice at the perfect moment to relax everybody. And that's a skill that I've never seen anybody else have. And that's a skill that gets guys really fighting for you. And so you, you go back to, you know, the, the Oakland game uh, after his dad passed and I mean, you just had the whole team wanting one purpose, and that was to make Brett play well and win that game, do everything you can to help him out. And so you had, you know, Wesley Walls who struggled to jump, was jumping three feet in the air. You know, you had uh, Javon Walker going up in, you know, quadruple coverage to pull down balls. I mean, just crazy things. And so you go to the Monday night game, and I will say the belief in the team slightly – took an uptick after Greg Lewis's, you know, last second touchdown the week before. So that, that amped up the, oh man, maybe we do have something special that amped up that factor, but you had guys, you know, that were just doing everything they could to make sure we won that game for Brett. And when you take the situation out of it, when you take the pressure out of it and just do it for a common cause and special things happen. And, And those three games are probably, you know, the, the epitome of that, that just special things happen not to mention, I mean, I, I go back to it again. I mean, we had incredible talent on offense, defense, and special teams on that team. And so when guys, like, really played to their ability, I mean, you know, it just it was a scary thing. And that's why I think we were so good in in 9
0: Ryan Longwell with us here for another minute or two on Minnesota Sports Rewind. So you mentioned how great Brett was in the locker room at breaking the ice and bringing guys together. From what you remember, what was your favorite... Locker room moment with Brett Favre in 2009.
3: Well, I mean, I think there were a few. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, seeing uh, Chili go pick him up and drive him from the airport. I mean, that was kind of funny because we were all kind of gathered around in the cafeteria uh, watching it on TV. Uh, but specifically in the locker room, I mean, I remember him. You know, slapping guys' rear end after that Packer game, the the Metrodome game. Um, I mean, that was just incredible that the relief that you could see on his face from kind of what Sage said and what I had said that the nerves before that game to the relief after that game. It was just night and day. And, um, that the, uh, you know, the, the belief of after the Greg Lewis touchdown, um, you know, and then even going into Lambeau, you know, a few weeks later, it, it was just that team that that peaked when we needed it most to help our guy out. And, uh, you know, Brett was always breaking the ice, was always, you know, making it fun. And it was one of the, uh, you know, going back to even Little League and stuff, it was one of the most fun years of sports I've ever played just because of the combination of that team. And no one took it too seriously, which is, I think, why, you know, we were able to advance so far.
1: And give me your opinion, too. Brett's uh, state of mind going into that game at the dome versus a few weeks after that in green Bay.
3: Well, I think there was a known commodity going into green Bay um, that he had already played the team. So then it was more of how loud are the booze going to be? You know, I mean, I had already faced it a couple of times and I knew how loud the booze for me. And I was a, you know, a a C player compared to far if if that even. Um, So I knew that, you know, it would be, uh, it would be, you know, kind of crazy for him. But at the same time, it was more of the seeing the other sideline, you know, seeing going to the visiting sideline, running out of the visiting tunnel. Those were the things that, you know, once you did that in pregame, it was ready to roll. And, and we were already a pretty good team by that point, confidence wise. And so it was just, you know, feed Adrian the ball, let Chester block on third down, you know, get, uh, Percy going and, um, let's, let's let the defense, let the Williams wall and Jared go, go crazy, you know, and, and that's really what, uh, what that team was built on. And that's, I think there was pressure, there was tensity, you know, there was a tenseness to that Lambeau matchup, but it wasn't nearly the debilitating nerves that you thought you saw, uh, out of him, um, for that, that week, you know, the, the Monday night matchup.
0: Ryan Longwell, we always appreciate you coming on and telling stories and uh celebrating one of the most fun games in the seasons in Vikings history.
1: Oh, it's a fun team. Thank you, sir.
0: Yeah.
3: My pleasure.
1: Anytime, guys.
0: All right, take care. All right, see you right. Bye. That's uh he's awesome, man. He just comes on and tells stories and
1: I don't recall great. the stu- I don't recall him telling us and unless I just uh, don't recall now myself about drive about driving down to training camp and talking to Favre. That's some great stuff.
0: So he, he knew months in advance, basically, that this was going to most likely happen. Yes. And they were going to, like, there's no way Brett was going to actually come to Mankato. So they had to go through this whole, this whole charade. media charade and put on this quarterback competition. And I think the way that we always interpret it was, man, training camp was going so poorly between T Jack and Sage that the Vikings had to make one last practice. Well, push that last practice far. was awful. It was. But maybe. But did Sage and Tavares know
1: as much as. As a guy like Ryan Probably who not. was good friends with Brett at the time and, and
0: still is. And if you're Ryan, you're not did gonna he... you're not gonna tell those guys. No, oh, by the way, I this know, doesn't really matter. Did it
1: get out basically you know, in the locker room? I'd be curious. Maybe. I'd be <laughs> curious to know. But the fact that Brett Favre was never going did to come I tell to, to Man Cato doesn't
2: surprise me. I longer. love how Sage does the Favre voice too in that little clip too. Play it again.
4: He is sitting in his locker, and he is shaking. He is sitting right next to me, and he is visibly like uncomfortable, shaking, almost like he's like going to throw up. So I'm talking to him. I'm like, you all right? He goes, no, I'm I'm not doing very well. I'm not not doing
0: very well. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Might need a bucket here. All right, key question number three for you guys. And if you're just stumbling into this right now, live on Score North, this is Minnesota Sports Rewind. We do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events. Ryan Longwell was our guest here because tonight on ESPN at seven o'clock they are rerunning Monday Night Football from October fifth of two thousand nine, the first time Brett Favre faced his old team, the Green Bay Packers. And my next question for you guys is: Do you miss the Metronome? Scale of one to ten. T- ten being can't you know can't imagine my life without it. Still one being I'm good. Where do you guys stand? Because this was one of the most prominent weeks in Metrodome history. <laughs> so,
2: I'm under the belief that the Metrodome was a totally fine football stadium. It was fine for football. It was a horrible venue for baseball, but it was totally acceptable for football. It got sure. super loud, and I think it worked for football. It was our dump. You know, I think that's the collective assumption with the Metrodome from everyone. It was our dump. I sometimes miss it. I miss the cheap seats. I miss the the... Thrills of of being in the dome, but U.S. Bank Stadium is a palace, and, and I love it. Even though they were doing all the sodding right now, and it looks pretty horrible if you're driving by it. I drove by it on Saturday afternoon, and
0: uh, needs a little facelift right yeah. now. I Can you I miss it. I miss the atmosphere for big games inside the Metrodome. Yeah, and we don't have enough. Like we have the Minneapolis Miracle game, but there's there's not enough history built up yet inside U.S. Sure. Bank Stadium or Target. I mean, Target Field has virtually no playoff history to speak of. Like they've never won a playoff game inside Target Field, so. It's it's hard to envision what peak target field atmosphere is like. You know, we felt it for like the first three innings against the Yankees last year, but it just, we haven't felt, all right, it's ALCS, game six, and there's a World Series trip on the line. What does that place feel like? Right. We have that built up in the Metrodome, and you had it back-to-back nights that week in October. So I miss the atmosphere for big games. I miss how it threw opponents off, baseball and football. Piped in noise for the Vikings. Yeah. Do you miss that? That was fun when in the noise speakers
1: towards the sideline of the opposing team. Did they, they do that? No 9 too? They
0: couldn't hear. I don't know if they I don't
1: know in 98 by then, they did it. I don't know by then, but they definitely there, there was an era there where they definitely would just position all of the noise speakers towards that sideline. Yeah, and that's flare them. I, I miss the fact that it had huge games. You can't deny that. It mm-hmm. has an unbelievable amount of huge games. It was a dump. The the roads were far too long, the concourses ultimately far too small, the suites were were from an era that was what circa 1982. So I don't miss the building itself, but it is incredible if you go back and track the memories from that place. It is chock full of things, remarkable, and so so. I don't. I never liked it but you can't dismiss the games that you saw in it, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: it's... I mean, I can think multiple times, even since 1991, how many times the hair on the back of my neck and arms stood up for a moment in the Metrodome, the Greg Lewis play, watching Favre run around in a Vikings uniform against the Packers for the first time. Game 163 had multiple moments. I mean, and, and, and I don't think it's just because of what's happening on the field. It's It's how much the crowd... Noise escalates and the atmosphere escalates inside that bubble. Um but that's I don't really I don't really miss like watching a baseball game on a Sunday afternoon ever inside the Metrodome. Like, no, give me exactly. the sunshine. All right, last key question here on this episode. Mm-hmm. Which of these three teams was most likely or rank once you rank them in order, most likely to win their Super Bowl matchup had they won the NFC championship game? Ninety-eight Vikings, two thousand nine Vikings. 2017 Vikings. 2009. 2009. The,
1: that team, the Colts were fine, but they weren't great. The Vikings were loaded. Uh, Favre was certainly banged up and hurt against the Saints because of the bounty game. But he would have come back and played. Mm-hmm. The 98 Vikings, if you go go back and look, coming out of the Falcons game, if they had won that game, that defense was pretty decimated. They had a lot of guys hurt pretty badly. Uh, so I'm not sure that you win that game for sure against the Broncos. That 2009 Vikings team had the talent and and the quarterback for sure that I feel pretty confident saying, I think if Favre and that collection goes to the Super Bowl, I think they do exactly what the Saints did and they beat the Colts.
0: I think I agree. I, the, the 98 team was going up against an all-time quarterback. If they would have played the Broncos, an all-time quarterback, an all-time running back, other Hall of Famers too. They had, I want to say, a couple Hall of Famers on defense. The Denver Broncos did. Uh, that was an unbelievable Broncos team, and you would have been decimated with injuries. So if you could have put Brett Favre's ankle back together in the two week period leading played. up, he would have played. He's far. The Vikings were so like the Vikings were so much better than the Saints, and they just turned the ball over five or six yeah. times. The Vikings dominated the Saints on the road in that game and somehow lost, and the Saints then went on to mostly dominate the Colts in the Super Bowl. But
2: there was just no way in 2017 Case Keenum was going to outplay Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, even in the home stadium. I'm sorry, it would not have happened. I mean, happened. Nick Foles, Nick Foles kind of did. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's a good point, Phil. But I agree with you. But I think 09 had the best chance just because it was the best team. It was the best matchup. And 98, you still had to go up against the Denver Broncos team. That was pretty good. So I, I would say the 09 team for sure. Yeah. Boy. And then
1: Favre, That's all we have right and now then in Minnesota Favre Sports. Rides off 2010. We don't care about it at
0: that point because you finally won a Super Bowl championship. Think about it. Yep, that would have been actually let's do that. All right. On air production meeting for Mackie and Rami today. Yep. For our alternate reality today, all right. What if the Vikings had gone on to win the Super Bowl in 2009, and all the different tentacles from all right, standpoints? All, right. all right, love it. If uh, if you're interested in binging 15 episodes and counting of Minnesota Sports Rewind, just go search it anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or the Score North app. This has been the 2009 Monday Night Football, October 5th edition, Packers versus Vikings edition of Minnesota Sports Rewind.